Is that your bird, David? What is that? Dude, it's not my bird. It's 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 the Earth's bird. I mean, I'm outside, man. There's like several it's birds. Earth's bird. But it's so loud on my headphones. Like I can't even. It sounds fake, right? It sounds like I'm playing like like a. CD it's very Hemingway. Hey, before it gets weird, I know David. Uh, what's what's your name, dude? Dude, I can't hear you at all, Adam. You can't. No, you're too far away. Can y'all hear me now? Uh, yeah, I can, I can hear you. Is you it clear, though, Luke? Yeah, it's clear. I mean, it sounds like you stepped away a little bit, but, yeah, it's, it's still clear okay. on my end. The that closer you are to the laptop, probably the better. I don't know. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah, maybe I'm just getting audio through the headphones and not voice. Anyhow, how the hell is Texas, y'all? Dude, it has been nuts, at least in my, in my end of the woods. Um, I, w- I live here in Dallas, but I drove down to Austin um yesterday uh actually no, the day before yesterday for like a just day and a half trip visit some friends and stuff and stuff stuff for work dude it looked like carmageddon on the highway and it was hella scary like we're i just got done with dinner with uh with my best friend and his girlfriend we're, we're driving back to this place he lives in pflugerville and uh you, you know like those zombie movies where like you know there's nobody left or people like have just dipped out and like they just leave their cars on the side of the road or like on the highway doors open lights on and all yeah. that shit that's yeah, what like it looked like dude it, oh, it looked like that it was crazy and it wasn't just like one or two cars it was like 20 cars like it yeah. was it was crazy man yeah i gotta tell you here in denver so it's like negative three degrees in denver right now and it's terrible because it ain't even snowing and uh i gotta tell you since this whole coronavirus thing we've been seeing homeless camps pop up and then get swept and then pop up somewhere else and mm. so it's like this this real sick kind of musical chairs kind of a thing going on with these things popping up, getting taken down, popping up somewhere else. But they are all over the place. Damn, it's man. super gross. Yeah, Austin is Austin is the same way. Uh, I mean, not, not that I'm there a lot, but it, it, it's from what I hear from my friends who live there. It's like that. Um, yeah. one, one of my buddies who I hung out with when I was in Austin, he's from uh, uh, he's a chef from L.A., and um, uh, one of their facilities that they have, I think it's where they store all the food and they, you know, they use that as like a distribution spot for all the restaurants and stuff. Yeah. Um, he said that he'd called the city to, to ask them to come out to remove some of the homeless people that have been living in the back just because like, you know, they're, they're just fucking up shit back there and not supposed to be, be back there and everything. Um, and the city came by and instead of like removing them from the property or whatever, they just gave them new tents and new things to set up. So then they used those tents and like those canopies and created like a bigger city. <laughs> and, uh, oh, he, he, he was like what the fuck like i told you guys to come out here to, to handle the problem but you know but seriously it, it, but it made sense because like you know in, in la at least like the homeless population isn't going anywhere right like it's 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 going to be a tough thing to like just r- remove the population they're just going to move elsewhere and and probably come back eventually you know so yeah mm-hmm. you know back in the day uh speaking of la specifically la oakland uh primarily mm-hmm. when i was a kid they started doing this weird social experimentation under Wellington Webb, where I otherwise should have been going to elementary school in uh, Washington Park, which is like a it, it wasn't a decent. Na- it was a decent neighborhood at the time, but it was very like lower to middle class families, um, like a very historical neighborhood. Now it's it's like the most yuppie thing imaginable. I should have been going to school in that district. But with this social experimentation, they were trying to gentrify from the kids up. And so I went to kindergarten in like my neighborhood and then first and second grade, they started busing all of us over into five points in Denver, which those years, like the, my first grade year that I was there 
was uh, we, we had like a bunch of uh, there there was an MLK riot. And so there, it started with like an MLK parade and then a bunch of white supremacists came out and got violent and shit. And then the year after that was what, 1993 was the summer of hate. And what created the summer of hate is that they were taking the homeless populations of Dodge City, Kansas and Oakland, California, and busing them into the same neighborhood, like Dodge City being largely Crip and California being largely Blood. And so it just created this insane hotbed of homelessness and gang violence and drugs. Like, where, where did they bus them to? To what city? To Denver? Both California and Kansas City. It was their turn to bus to us. But every state oh. does this, is that once the homeless population gets crazy, then whatever politician is seated at the time is just going to give them an open-ended Greyhound ticket and be like, yo, uh, you know, like there's there's opportunity on the horizon to be homeless at a brand new location. <laughs> get on the bus. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And then like we're really just playing musical chairs with shoving our homelessness problem around to try to keep it invisible to people. Oh, my God. That is ridiculous. And oh, it's like, wild. do they I guess I, I hope they have like they have like a, some type of pack with the city and it's like, Hey, I'm going to move these people to, to where you are. Or they kind of just like randomly, like here's a Greyhound ticket, pick wherever else you go, but not here. It's the weirdest thing. <clears throat> I've been talking to a lot of my friends uh, because I'm still in contact with some people that I've been going to school with since first and second grade. And they're always real curious about it, but it basically ends there. And it, it, it really is a kind of a conversation that we need to have. It's like, how does this work? Like, do the states or the cities communicate with each other? Like, okay, um, you know, Colorado, you're giving us all of your water. Um, you know, you're giving us a decent amount of tourism. And so it's your turn to be able to send us like X amount of homeless people on a Greyhound bus. Or do they just, do they just talk with Greyhound and they're like, yeah, we, we just bought up an ass load of tickets and we're sending a bunch of fucking homeless people your mm -hmm. way. Like, what? I, I don't get it. Wow. I haven't been able to find much information on it either, which sucks. Like, God, man, that's crazy, dude. There's a there's a um, speaking of like the homeless population and everything. I there's a YouTube channel called uh, Great White Underbelly that I watch, and um, it's this guy, and he just brings in um, you know just homeless people from from Skid Row. I think mainly is because he's based in California, and he'll interview them, and uh, he'll interview them one year, right, and then he'll wait like a year or two, or whatever, and then bring them back in for an interview. And it's 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 kind of crazy, like you know the first the first interview they'll they'll talk about like their life. Next one, like it's a checkup and like see like you know how, how they're doing stuff like that. But some of the progression is like awesome, you know. Some of the people like you know they they move on, they do great things in life. Other ones not so much, you know. And other ones are kind of just stagnant. And it's it's crazy, man. It's it's a really um, like heartfelt kind of uh, channel. It's very yeah. underrated. What was the name of it? Great White Skid. Uh, great white <laughs> underbelly. Great, great white skid. underbelly. <laughs> I, yeah, we were talking homelessness in California. I was thinking Skid Row, I guess. <laughs> underbelly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. So, so are you from? Um, uh, so you're you're from Denver originally? Yeah, uh, I am a Denver native, and I hate to admit it, but I have like uh, a lot of my identity bought into the idea of being a Denver native. Um, I'm, mm. I'm third generation. Mm. Can you tell I me like more about what, what that means to be a Denver native? Um, you know, recently I've been thinking that a lot of libertarian concepts were born in the Denver that I grew up in. 
There are a lot of exceptional qualities about Colorado in general. Certainly Denver is that we're one of uh, the world's major cities where we're exposed to, uh, you know, like a, a decent view of the front range of the mountains or whatever. I mean, I, like I, I would say that Lima, Peru would certainly be another one, but it's few and far between that you're you're in the capital of a, like a major hub of a country, which when I was growing up, Denver was always written off. Colorado was always written off as a, a cow town. People didn't think twice about us any more than they would Oklahoma or Idaho. And then suddenly the secret got out that, yeah, it's clean. It's safe. It's it's 300 days of sunshine. It could be anywhere from negative 20 degrees in a whiteout blizzard to 110 degrees in the dead of August. But in terms of like the, the libertarian values of just live and let live, um, when I was growing up, nobody locked their cars. They, they wouldn't even just not lock their cars. They would leave their keys in the ignition. There was seldom auto theft. Um, people left their doors unlocked. There, there was this really great community uh, which obviously, since we got all of that California population moving in and now COVID, that has kind of gone the way of the dodo. But mm. uh, we have a huge influx of, of Californians here in here in Texas, uh, especially all the Joe Rogans. Yeah, man, the Joe Rogans in Austin and also here in <laughs> Dallas too. <laughs> the yeah, Joe Roganers, right. yeah. <laughs> so I listened to a podcast actually yesterday with uh, Elon Musk and uh, Joe Rogan, and uh, both of them are like very gassed about how um, Austin is going to be like the the biggest boomtown that you've seen in like the past like half yeah. uh, half century. Uh, yeah, and they're just t- talking about it. Yeah, I heard and, the other day that there are uh, three major electrical grids in the U.S. And one is the East Coast, the other is the West Coast, and then the third one is Texas itself. Like, y'all have your own energy grid out there, apparently? God knows it's a big enough state. Yeah, you know, yeah I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised, sure. honestly. But yeah, yeah, I would not be surprised. There's, dude, it's, this state is ridiculous. Um, in, t- in terms of energy production and, like, just the capability that we, ha- that we have, too, it, it's wild. Like, I, I want to say Texas has, like, a GDP of, like, one of the – like bigger than most countries in the world. It's like top 20 or something like that. Super self-sufficient. Super. Yeah. It's like when talking about California being the world's fifth largest economy. um, And then you see how California is just falling on its face right now, which it's, it's no accident that everybody from California is jumping ship and largely moving to Texas, still moving to Colorado. They've been moving to Colorado for years and I've seen the effect over my life. Um, it, it's like how, how many items of music, how much of our culture is embedded in the idea of Californication? It comes with a sense of entitlement. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they sort of inject that. Like I've, I've been listening to a lot of podcasters that got out of California and a couple of which moved here to Colorado and all they have to talk about is mask wearing. And it's like you moved out of your failed state that is mandating people's behavior because that state is failing now. The world's fifth largest economy is fucking failing. And you didn't even stop to think that maybe one of these is endemic of the other. Um, yeah, so what we're seeing with Texas, I think, is super cool. And it's hella good talking to y'all. Um, I have a couple of friends in Texas that I haven't really heard from in a while. But good on you. Because California being the world's fifth largest economy, 
it's becoming completely apparent that what used to be their bread and butter no longer works in in 2021. And the idea that there is this influx to Texas is kind of saying that y'all have your finger on the pulse and you're going to learn from their mistakes. And you always had the infrastructure and you always had the landmass. And but yeah, you have almost a I don't know, I, I would say a better culture than California, maybe. Oh, Am I just yeah. talking out of my ass? I think it's balanced. Yeah, mainly. that's yeah, I don't for know. sure. I feel like, and I can't even put my finger on it, but there's like we have a right combina- combination of California, but then like on the other side to tip the scale, we have something I guess traditional. I don't know. I guess that's the reason why big business wants to come into Austin and build, you know, you know, factories and corporations. I guess there's something. I don't know. It's just like, I think I think it's a healthy combination. I think two extremes kind of like set something off that i guess i don't know would yeah. you would you, hey, uh would you move uh, out of uh colorado adam or i think- really have recently been thinking about it just because um and again within my lifetime and I, i'm not trying to say that everything that comes out of california is bad i'm not going to be that crotchety old codger who's like these motherfuckers don't know how to drive in the snow they're all about trans lib woke bullshit whatever um, which none of which I have any issue with. It's just when it, it comes to like its full realization, you see its full realization and how California is like beyond Thunderdome right now. Like it's it's truly some Mad Max shit. It's fucking Escape from L.A. Um, mm-hmm. But there there's a lot of good that comes out of it, too. Like all of the the cultural and uh, musical aspects that it, it brings, like insights, like you guys are saying, a good balance. Um Colorado has certainly become very, uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it's kind of a tricky thing for me to say, but less individualistic, whereas the Colorado that I grew up in was pro-individualistic to where it promoted a community of that. You still got the supercell, the, the community, but... It, it was of people that loved themselves and loved each other. Now it's, oh, well, you know, you, you just bow to the state and you trust the science. And it's like, no, you trust religion. You do science. Like, mm. So Texas kind of interests me. Uh, again, I, I do have some friends down in, what is it called? Shadow Falls, Texas or something kind of remote. Sounds kind of attractive. Um, I've been looking at the Homestead Act in Montana. I'd like I'd like to buy land in Colorado. That's my goal. That's what I'm working towards right now is just to be able to get on well water, um, live within a quarter mile of my nearest neighbor, and just do my own thing, raise goats, garden, farm, do whatever I can for myself. Mm-hmm. Love that, man. I love the self-sufficiency dream yeah. for sure. Um, yeah. So related to the Texas thing too, uh, actually, I guess two things to to, to what you just said, um, the Texas thing, uh, Joe Rogan and, and Elon mentioned something kind of interesting. It was mainly Joe, but he was saying how like, um, Texas is like, it's exactly what David said too. It's like, it's polarizing. It's like, we got two sides. One is like, you know, the conservative kind of 
you know, uh, unruly, like no government control, like have your guns, raise your damn tigers. Like we don't care. Right. It's like, it's, it's your land, do whatever you want to do. And the other side is like, you know, the more kind of, you know, libertarian kind of left leaning or whatever. And like, that's that, and like those two worlds blend well together. Um, it, like in, in Texas at least. Right. Like there's like sure. the, this, this thing can grow like the libertarian or like, you know, that, that side kind of it can, the progressive side can grow a little bit with the protection of like the right, you know, with the more conservative side. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, the other thing too, related to what you said about, uh, Colorado, man, with the individual individualism, something I noticed was like, so I have a bunch of friends who are moving there to Denver and like taking a step back, looking at like, you know, kind of just knowing, knowing who they are, like they're all kind of like homogenous. If you get what I'm saying, like, like those friends of mine who like move there, like, uh, they don't know each other, either any one of them, but they all kind of fit into this, like, weird like uh archetype of like mountain hippie if that makes sense yeah. like, mountain hippie oh, tech yeah. worker kind <laughs> of thing you know yeah. so i was like yeah. so and it, it was to me it's like that speaks a lot because like all these people are like oh identify with denver because this is you know this is me and then they all go to denver and they're like oh shit we're all the same people you know yeah. so you, yeah. you're, you're losing that individualism yeah yeah yep. which is counterintuitive because i had the advantage of uh the high school that i went to which was in the same neighborhood so I wound up back in the neighborhood I grew up in, and South High School is just right over by Wash Park. It's just one of the most gorgeous parks uh, in the nation. Like, I've been all over, and I, I love that place to death. And the cool thing about South High School is that we had all of the, uh, like, sports infrastructure. We had the All-City Stadium, and so um, I actually met Dylan Klebold at a game. Uh, he, was a, he, he was a guest of a friend of mine that had grown up down the street from him. Uh, we, we brought everybody into our facilities and that, that went even further that South high school. And I, I don't want to talk out of my ass here. I, I'd want to say it was one of the biggest, but it certainly was a big ELA program where we had a lot of like, like foreign students. Um, there, there was no, there really wasn't a majority. We had as many Brazilians as we had, People from Kosovo, people from Ukraine, people from, uh, you know, like the, the French Polynesian territories. It, it, it was incredible in terms of like the, the melting pot. Again, kind of back to not that I'm a libertarian, but back to libertarianism of people just kind of doing their thing. We, we didn't have cliques. Um, and that's that's uh, again, like when you're talking about mountain hippies and everything, it, it really is a codified and commodified attraction that people want to buy into. You know, they they read a blog about living the, the mountainy lifestyle where they they work in data, which Den Colorado has a huge infrastructure for data management and whatnot, That's working true. in I.T. And then they spend the weekends up in Loveland or Keystone or whatever. Like it, it's very attractive, mm -hmm. but it, it kind of has overshadowed the very towns that these people are injecting themselves into in a way where it's like, how, how long is it sustainable in that regard? You, sure. you can't, you can't have like the wholesome mountain town kind of a position if yeah, yeah, I don't know. No, I, I agree. I felt, um, Denver, I think it still has, there's a mix. Like there's definitely several sides to Denver where you still get a lot of the old and the new, a lot of gentrification. But where I felt where it just, everybody felt the same was Boulder. Boulder is a pretty area, but man, everybody's the same person in Boulder. You go to a Whole Foods, everybody's the same guy and everybody's the same girl. 
And it really uh, is Stephen King-esque, isn't it? Like It's, it, it's, it's one weird. of the most beautiful landscapes, but I just it, it feels like a Stephen King no- novel up in that town. Like, Boulder is weird, dude. Yeah, pers- personalities are bought at aisle three at Whole Foods, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and one of my fears with Texas, especially Austin, is that you get all these people moving in. And like we were saying, we were saying earlier, you know, we, the good thing is that we have a, a mix. We have the, the old and the new, but the new has, and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but the new has this like tone to it or this force that wants to drive out the old in, 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 in like for the sake of more new. And they almost forget what it was that brought them here. I, I guess like the biggest thing right now with a lot of people who are moving in and the concerns with people who are like Austin natives is like, oh, well. The people who are running away from the place that they don't like are going to eventually make the place that they're in now the very exactly. same place they don't like, which is true. I go to – look, and, and I'm still fairly young, so I don't know old Austin. But when you talk to Austin natives, they tell you that it's like kind of what you're talking about now with Colorado and Denver. It's it's completely different. Like Austin's – it is the spot to be, but it's it's starting to become a parody of itself. Like the, the washed out, you know, master's degree – holder in you know barista or whatever you were mentioning it the other day adam like it's very true i don't know there's it's it's odd and it's strange and i don't know i i can see it being good for maybe 10 15 years and then it plateaus out and then you get another san francisco you got you have another boulder and everybody's yep. just you know master's degrees detoxing you know eating mushrooms and smoking you know whatever like i don't know it's just it's strange like you're right. It's just the individuality is completely lost in, in the sake of searching for individuality because the hive culture forces you into this like mindset of like, we're all this. So come in and join this group. I don't know. It's very strange and it's hard to pinpoint it because it's still like very transitioning. But I don't know. I don't know. I got my worries yeah. about Austin. Like it, it, it attracts me. But at the same time, I can see 10 years down the road and I could see it being another place I dislike. The same reason why I never moved to California, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I lived in New York for a bit, and like, I've always thought about, you know, I've always heard about like the gentrification of like Brooklyn, and you know, you got uh, you got all the the hipsters coming in and like changing the changing the surroundings, you know, Flatbush, Mm -hmm. Williamsburg, all that good stuff, whatever. Um, and a lot of people angry about it, like over the years. But at the same time, like what I noticed, at least when I was living there, that like the hipsters actually brought a pretty awesome culture that like resonated with the world. You know what I mean? Like like to Brooklyn, even though Brooklyn wasn't that before. You know, mm-hmm. so like I think like I, I'm against for sure like gentrification and like you driving out the people who you know set, laid the foundation there. They're the people there, and you know you're you're moving them off because you're you know hiking up rent prices and and whatever it might be like i'm I'm totally against that but like i also think that there's a potential magic that could happen if you bring in somebody you know from the outside right to make that place even cooler because you think about it like even brooklyn you know before um before it was what it is now like you know i'm sure there was like a huge influx of like jewish people and huge influx of chinese people you know who at the time were like oh i don't want these people here like they're going to change my neighborhood but they actually made the neighborhood you know even cooler they kind of like made this like multi-layered you know cake or whatever right yeah. yeah, I feel it's true. They do bring this thing to it, but I find it that it gets quickly packaged and commercialized. Like one thing that mm. I had an issue with in comparison to Austin's art scene versus Denver's art scene uh, is that Denver's art scene felt very, um, not uh, like not orchestrated is the word, but it felt very packaged, sterile, sterile and packaged. Whereas Austin, 
like you go and you get you see real graffiti like you see like unauthorized graffiti and and you see it like being wildly accepted versus denver it's like here's a couple of walls that the city provided here's this one alleyway in this like richy new coming area and this is the only place you can paint or draw outside on the walls anywhere else is considered a crime whereas austin you're like okay there's there's roughness i can i can walk to a certain place and still see like the old austin versus denver it was just kind of like like you said very sterile very sterile very packaged just for a lot of like instagram it was just basically setting up a stage for a bunch of influencers to come in and take photos right everything's sanctioned yeah and the everything is sanctioned exactly everything is designated and because like yes it's good for the tourists and people who want to come and visit something for that designation i I can see like it being positive because now it's like being facilitated but at the same time in that like facilitating that it becomes incredibly sterile and uh and i'm starting to see that in austin because austin has a I forgot the name of the place, but I don't know that graffiti park in Austin. It's very popular. Oh, um, uh, dang, what's, what's it called? What's the name? Anyways, well, if you, if you know the name, bring it up. But they tore that down to put in room for for condos, and oh, uh, you just it's just it's just slowly. Was happening. it was it like an organic graffiti park? Yeah, or was it, it was or, an organic graffiti. Like the things weren't murals done by individuals from the other side of the world. Like this was like Austin people graffitiing the way they wanted and it That's wasn't necessarily shit. professional murals like 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 you go to um like rhino dis in the rhino district in denver you go see the murals and like half of those people who drew on those murals are not even from denver you know yep and yep. Uh, it's just frustrating it, it just feels fake it feels fake yeah yeah mm-hmm. and you know i mean a lot of the time it's it's a good time to go down to crush walls in rhino um, certainly to host friends and stuff because most people aren't exposed to, you know, artistic theory and anthropology of which I think that graffiti is one of the most beautiful expressions between the crux of you get, you get like the human endeavor and anthropology and just like yeah. lower class people screaming in, okay, if, if somebody takes a, a, a fire extinguisher and they pump that thing full of whatever ink toner and they write taco on a wall. <laughs> it looks like shit. Your handwriting is shit and you just said taco. However, is that better than just like a gray slate wall? In, in a certain way? As, yes. as bad as it might be, even at its worst, as bad as it looks, I still think it's better than just like the plain gray slate wall. Yeah. And it's also this message saying like, this is mine. Exactly. This is ours. This is like... I was the only one that was willing to do this. Exactly. I'm going to, uh, I, Amazon is, uh, it, it, it gives me nightmares. Amazon gives me nightmares, but I'm going <laughs> to have to buy this book about Brazilian graffiti for y'all. Okay. Uh, Brazilian graffiti is called Picha So. And the concept is that they cannibalize Western, uh, the Western endeavor and they regurgitate it as their own. But they have rules and systems about the way that they do graffiti is that here in the West with graffiti, you'll have a strikeout or a crossout. So if somebody does something, uh, say you're RTD and you're in Dime or Dice's territory and you bomb RTD to fuck with them, they'll strike your shit out. They'll cross it out and then they'll write below you. What they do in Brazil is that they don't Mm. bomb or strike somebody out. They They write above it to be better than them. Mm. And so it's gotten to such a level as that if, if you've seen or been to Brazil, 
you know that they have these high rises that are like goddamn 60 stories tall. It's, it's like some weird futuristic looking shit or dystopian or whatever. They will build ladders by hand just to be able to get above the very next person mm. while at the same time creating some of the most vibrant and beautiful fucking artwork you've ever seen in your life. It's amazing. I believe it. I think, yeah, I totally agree. Like you're saying, I'd rather have crappy stuff than like sanctioned, like really well designed. Like you said, it feels fake. I think the worst thing New York did was clean up their subways. Like sometimes I look at the old videos of some of the subway carts on YouTube or whatever. Man, so much personality. So much personality. And mm-hmm. what was once the Publix is now like completely cleaned up for the sake of I don't know, safety, sanitation or whatever. And they replace public art with private, you know, advertisements, you know? Yeah. And uh, yep. if you if you look at the subway carts back then, wow, like we removed covered covered we were i mean don't get me wrong so uh new york in the 70s was not the safest place to be but there like there was a roughness to life and i think that art really portrayed like the real human experience from all classes and you remove that and you get just crappy rich people you know art or just stuff that doesn't speak to like to to all classes and now you Mm -hmm. got you know disconnected detached individuals posing behind it or in front of it and it's just kind of frustrating. I don't know. Yeah. I, see, I see that happening to Austin. And it's and it's like, where do you go now where it's truly real? And uh, I don't know. I really like Berlin. Berlin excites me a lot because I feel like there's still the graffiti um, culture is still pretty authentic and real. Like I, I mean, I'm sure there is like sanctioned places. But Berlin seems to be a good place where a lot of the original aesthetic has been kept. Um, I don't know. For sure. I mean, but who's to say that Austin, you know, won't become like a like a Berlin, right? Berlin's a an, kind of an yeah, an awesome ancient. I mean, I, I don't know if they're ancient, but old city that's that's made it through and still is pretty cool, you know. Um, they have buildings that are older than the U.S. over there, and we're looking oof. at our shit like, oh, you know, like we're we're the most exceptional people in the world. And it's like, bro, there are houses exactly. in even fucking North Korea. That are older than the foundation of our country, for no. God's sake. Like, yeah, no. It's, sometimes it's our culture, or at least the aesthetic of architecture. And I think we spoke about this in like earlier podcasts. But it feels like something bought out of Office Depot. You know, it just feels like there's some, there's just a flatness to it because Office we're Depot so is young. the worst. <laughs> you know, is the worst. Know, this I, I kind of feel like a like a synergy with everything we've been talking about from homelessness to uh uh people traveling from one state to another and everything thank god in america that states are so different anyhow that you have that option but the the idea that you're going to inject the very problem that collapsed what you're leaving is insanity by by definition but i've been thinking about this especially in corona do I wash my hands like uh, like a fucking hypochondriac? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Why? Because I ru- ride public transportation. And thankfully, I like my job didn't really have a hiccup uh, with the shutdowns and everything. I, I was essential. And so I was able to maintain my shit. I wash my fucking hands. However, I've been thinking lately, the, the whole act of hand washing where you have uh, sanitizing products and stuff is that it isn't a question of eliminating what is there when you're you're washing yourself when you're washing your dirty fucking self you fucking dirty chongos um (laughs) it's it's more a question of displacing it so when when you wash your hands with even 
you know, you're degreasing an engine, you use the real heavy shit. It doesn't, it isn't a question of like, oh, this, this substance I'm putting on me is, uh, it's cleaning. It isn't cleaning. It's only displacing. It's removing. But it's like, where does that go? And this, this is the question that I've always (laughs) asked is like, what happens when gentrification happens? Because a part of me wants to find out the communities. I, I want to find, well, it, I, I guess that's the whole issue, is that once gentrification happens, it atomizes the community was there, and it just throws everybody to the wind to where they don't reform a new community. But, hmm. yeah. Hmm. Interesting. And where do those people go? Where do the germs go? Yeah. Interesting. You're just you're kicking the can down the road. Right? It's kind of what hmm. we do with the economy. It's kind of what we do with you know, uh, sacrificing our lives to work a job that we may or may not necessarily believe in to just get sure. someplace later. Mm, so, very true. And a lot yeah. of that is in homelessness too. Like yeah. how many people that are homeless think that they're going to be homeless forever? Yeah, true. Were you, were you, were you considered an essential worker? Is this at the, is that the, is this at the, uh, former place? Uh, are you still working there by the way? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're it's really still there. Fuel. Interesting. It's nightmare fuel. It's nightmare fuel. Oh. I got it. Well, okay. Just recently, we had a breakthrough that you could really see the humanity shine back into it in a regard where there was there was so much of this agenda, kind of in the same way that y'all are talking about California moving to Texas and even unknowingly injecting the the very thing they were escaping from. It finally got to an untenable position to where there was pushback and it kind of reignited like a new community, which Interesting. gives me hope. But mm. I'm I'm always hopeful to a fault, so we'll fucking see what happens I'm, with that. I'm surprised I'm surprised you're still there. I mean, uh, I mean how much information can we give so that we can give some people some 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 settings, some context. Uh, I mean well, we, way- we could talk about the mechanics, but I gotta tell you they uh, they legitimately have associates that scrub the internet and remove any negative reviews. Oh, for sure. Oh, I believe Ugh. that. I Dark believe. art shit. Like, oh my god. <laughs> Dark art shit, for sure. <laughs> and it's only going to get worse from here, man. For sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I, uh, yeah, you know, actually. So this is this is cool as shit, and uh, you know, I've been meaning to listen to y'all's podcast for a long, long time. What I love about my job, and David, you know what the job is like. It, it's like the most menial manual skullduggery mindless shit imaginable well-behaved animals could do our certainly my job and it just so happens that i like to think of myself as a well-behaved animal so um, i'm in a pretty good position (laughs) but uh i get i i have the ability to listen to podcasts and i have so many podcasts that i i keep up with and i finally got around to listening to y'all's it might have been uh the last one that you did and you guys were talking about Rothko? Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I love yeah. it. I love it. And I don't agree or disagree with it, but I I was exactly you. Okay, so I got voted best artist in high school with none other than Will Ferrell's niece. And uh, Really? Oh, shit. <laughs> full disclosure, Will Ferrell's niece is one of the most amazing painters and an absolute sweetheart smoke show. I was so awkward in high school before I d- discovered hallucinogens and I like kind of asserted myself, find, like found a way to like wholesomely be me or whatever. And so high school, 
I was filled to the brim with so much fucking jizz that I, I was just having like a panic attack on a regular basis as to how badly I needed a fuck. And like, I didn't know what to do. Like, I didn't know, like, do I step out into traffic? Do I tell this girl I like her? You know, like I, and so I put a lot of that energy into art. And so me and me and Will Ferrell's niece got voted best artist of my graduating class, <laughs> which is a story, fucking man. crime because I was so goddamn bored in class that I would sit back and draw goddamn Pokemon or some fucking thing. <laughs> but I was drawn every day and everybody was like, oh, yeah, he's so nervous and weird. And like, he must be a really good artist. And he's certainly always drawn. And so they just gave me the gimme. Um, <laughs> and so I always hated Rothko. Like exactly what y'all were saying is that Rothko was a fucking joke. Mm-hmm. And then because I got voted best artist and, you know, my girlfriend at the time, we were always going to the same coffee shop and the coffee shop was advertising the college I wound up going to. And she's like, hey, you got voted best artist. You should go to this college. And I was like, all right. So I go to that college and uh, I'm studying art and I I would have exactly the discussions that y'all did about Rothko just being, you know, barely warm diarrhea. Like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Mm. And I I say this to a guy that I will always forever love, respect and admire as one of the he is one of the foremost artists of our generation in the most subtle way, if that makes sense. Like he Mm. is he everybody has a knack and he is an engineer and he approaches art and music and painting and making vinyl toys. No matter what it is, he is he's backwards and forwards amazing. And he busted my balls about me calling out Rothko. And he's like, bro, if you haven't seen one in person, then you won't get it. And it's like, I have seen one in person and I also didn't get it. But he explained it in the way that Rothko was like a cellular expression of any of the other art that you want. And it, mm. it sort of, sort of made sense to me in that mm. But interesting. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. That's, that's something I reflected on, like post post that conversation too. I've always thought that way about Rothko, but like the other thing, the other side of it is like I don't really know Rothko. Like I don't know the artist, you know, I don't know his story, I don't know anything about him other than like he painted this extremely humongous, like just like slob work or whatever, right? That I know sits in like the lobbies of you know these hedge it's funds a and shit like that. Blue square, yeah, oh they pay God, way everybody. too much for it. Everybody hail the big blue square. It's important. <laughs> yeah, but granted, what are like, we if, doing? but granted, if like, if you told me that, let's say Rothko was blind and he was able to do this <laughs> shit, that changes the conversation completely. I'm like, oh, fuck, like this guy, you know what I mean? Like, that's art for sure. Like, he painted what he felt like it was going to be, you know what I mean? Like, what he sees, right? So that changes yeah. it. But, you know, it, it, I guess it's situational. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so my point is, is that uh, I love having discussions about Rothko. And I'll always and forever love and respect and admire Neil, not just for being one of the most prolific artists I've ever met, but also for busting my balls and giving me a counter counter argument and saying like, well, dude, like you just don't get it. Granted, I'm not a painter, I'm a sculptor, but I I love the fact that y'all are on the other end of the the spectrum because all I could think the entire time, like I, I legit was laughing out loud to myself at work listening to you guys going going back and forth about it (laughs) but it was more about the narrative is that people have to like it yeah that's that's the the problem that's the that's the problem yeah love rothko fuck rothko but the idea that you have you can't not like rothko and it's like i do what i want I, I, i i so all i could think was that my parallel 
and I'm probably going to offend the both of you right now. You know what my Rothko is? Is that is show it? The Office. Oh, mm. yeah, okay. Mm. Okay, give me, just, elaborate, elaborate. I've yeah. been trying to understand what the appeal of this show is, and I don't think there is any appeal. Well, okay, there is one appeal, and I'll get to that later. But it's all that I could ever see is it, it's not dry humor because it isn't fucking funny. Like, <laughs> it is, it's, it's stupid, miserable people being cruel to each other because they're stupid and miserable. And I think the only appeal for it, that people were tuned into it day in, day out, every fucking week, is that everybody was curious as to who was going to kill themselves first. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's, it's one of these things that people are going to invest in because for whatever reason, it's like, oh, did you hear about this new show? Suddenly everybody's talking about the new show around the water cooler. Nobody gets it. But they're all just playing, playing, oh, well, this, this is the thing. You, you have to be good with the thing because that's what unifies us. Mm, and that, yeah. that isn't what unifies us. It's just being supplicant to it. Yeah, mm, it's, I dig that. That yeah. and, it's, and it's easily digestible. It's not like heavily cerebral. You know, it's just something that anybody from all walks of life, all levels of IQ can agree upon, like pizza. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we're not talking about escargot or anything fancy or like aged ribeye. It's just kind of like a the pizza doughy, you know, high carb kind of meal that no one's going to completely dislike. So it's yeah. the thing that we talk about. I don't know. So do 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 either of y'all enjoy The Office? Is there something I'm missing? Like I, I legitimately want to talk to people that like enjoy. <laughs> well, it. I, I want to know. <laughs> yeah, like I, I guess overall as a show, it's it's okay. I, I think there's magic moments in it for me that I really love. But like other than that, I'm like, oh, it's all right of a show. You know, like I I've never been. I was not the person who like watched the whole show like back. You know, episode to episode to episode. I was kind of like the drop in on this one episode because my friend said it was good. That was I was that type of watcher, and but uh, it, and it I, was enjoyable for you. I'm not shitting on anybody's enjoyment of it. I, it was, I just have a, like a vastly different experience, and I love to get anybody else's input because I've been trying to crack this nut for since <laughs> the fucking show's been around, and yeah, I just I mean, can't do it. I think it's just some of the moments in there are are, are, are funny. Um, it, it, like there's this one episode with like with Dwight where he like is doing. Um, like CPR training on a dummy and like he does this like he like splits it open with a oh, knife yeah. and then like, puts the like the face like the the face of the dummy like on his on his face like 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 uh like Hannibal Lecter or whatever yeah, and, uh, yeah. that, that, that scene was kind of funny you know it was like because he was calling back to like a serial killer movie or whatever but like yeah. Yeah, overall you know it's 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 whatever but like I agree with you like the craze of it didn't make any sense to me like even today I was in Target and like in the Target aisle like, in one of the aisles um, like toy aisles or whatever, they have like the office like memorabilia and shit. And I'm like, uh, I don't know if I'd go that oh, far. Oh god, yeah, office Barbies. Interesting. Yeah, basically, I, it was like I don't know. Shit. I yeah. I love basically all of the actors, especially the guy that plays Dwight. That guy is legit, like a dope fucking actor. Everybody is incredible, but it, it just gets so sterilized and homogenized. Sure. And oh, this guy he dropped his chili, his famous chili. Oh. Sure. Like, did we just go back to the silent movie era? Like, no, what the fuck? I know what you're talking about. I, I really do. And, like, I'm with Vu on this one. Like, I there's moments that are funny, but, like, I, I didn't watch it through in some kind of, like, religious way. But I've always, with these shows that become popular, like The Office or Friends or, like, you name your pick. Oh, of God, what's Friends. Popular. Don't get me started like, on Friends. 
I've always asked, okay, the reason that this is popular, it's because somebody is watching it due to the fact that what they're watching, they lack in their own lives. So what is it what, what is it that's being promoted? Is it the community and the union between coworkers who simultaneously hate their manager and hate their job? So that's probably and, and findings like peace and solace and like community within that despair that you also feel in your own life, then that's probably yeah. the appeal more than the actual humor. Is that in this imaginary world that you step into, your coworkers are side by side with you in agreement that this is a shitty job, this this job doesn't pay well. And your manager's an idiot. And that's as far as it goes. And the humor, which is like subpar, gets thrown in the mix of it just to make the 30, 30 minutes, you know, bearable. But really, it just speaks about your hunger and desire for like fellowship with your fellow man and, and, and the agreement that minimum wage is too minimum. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah. that's really that's probably the real appeal. Same with the friends. Like the fact that the, the show is called Friends and you have no friends and you watch the yep. show Friends should tell you that you're there not for the humor or you are there for the – you stay for the humor but you're really there because you're lonely, you know? And you have poor selection of, of, of sitcoms when you could be, you know, watching Frasier and improve your vocabulary at the very least, you know, or, or do something <laughs> else. You know? It's true. It, it really is. Like, or, yeah. you know, Seinfeld's all right. Like, it's, it's, I, I prefer Seinfeld's writing than what I see on Friends or I see The Office. You know, Parks and Rec is same of, you know, same office kind of thing. Like, I don't know. Anyways, that's my two cents on that. Well, uh, you know, I, I thought that I was going to have like this expansive, long drawn out conversation, but you just hit it on the head. Is that my thing is that have have do people that enjoy the office never have worked a job before but like you're saying is that they can't tell management like hey uh why are you being such a fucking scumbag like why why is everything so upside down in terms of like my productivity is great and you telling me that my productivity could be better is not a productive thing to do and so uh, you know sources like the office or friends or whatever become a sort of like a balm or a Band-Aid or a vaccine mm-hmm. to these issues that people have. I I guess that I'm so deep in it is that where it's like, well, this is clearly, this this is what it is, what it portends to be. It's just that I happen to have friends, thanks. And, uh, you know, I happen to have worked <laughs> that job. And I, I don't need to be told that it's funny how much these people suffer. Like, I don't find their suffering funny, like, or, or how how scary one of the characters is like this sure. dude is you know well, dwight may in fact be one of uh the most accomplished serial murderers ever i don't i mean i don't even know if it's if it's if it's like uh partaking in their suffering i think suffering is even too heavy of a word for that show i don't think it has that that depth of of emotion to even call it extreme joy or extreme suffering i think it's yeah. just just human level, just human it's just surface level mundaneness where nothing ever gets like the, i don't know how to describe it I, i'm not trying yeah. to deconstruct it, the office but it, it it hovers neither neither here nor there and mm. i think people are comfortable with that after a long day of being fucked by the man you know what i'm saying yeah well and again as a takeaway i i just mean to say that i couldn't be happier that y'all find genuine happiness or uh, uh, joy or enjoyment in being able to watch it. 
the only reason that I'm so crotchety about what I'm saying is that I, I like it, it doesn't it doesn't really respond with me or whatever. But the idea that everybody else seems to get it, it just frustrates me to a point where like I, I try to think about it. And that's that's counterintuitive because you don't think about it. You just experience it and have a good time. Yeah, exactly. I was trying to think of like an analogy in my my own life. Like it, I kind of thought about like as like a. I don't know if you guys like so, – so I worked this like shitty kind of office job, you know, before. And my some of my coworkers like were – they're all very like PG-13, you know, in the office because that's like office etiquette, yada, yada, whatever, right? So they say shit, you know, make crap jokes like that are PG-13 that, you know, outside of the office environment, I would laugh at, at right? I'd like – that's not funny, you know, like I'd rather talk about this, yada, yada. But for some reason, whenever they say it while we're at the office, it's like the most hilarious thing in the world, yeah. right? That's kind of how I think about the office. It's yeah. like similar. It's like similar to that. Mm. I get that. That yeah. that actually is an awesome point of insight for me to stop being such a bastard and ragging on people that like The Office. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> like, okay, let know, me ask you this. Well, what show do you like? Is there any show that you do appreciate for its for its humor? Well, in in the vein of The Office, um, I I loved Frasier as a kid because it made me feel big Same and it made here. me feel smart. Like, hooray, white people. Uh, whatever but you know like I, I feel like any demographic could get down with fucking Frazier because it was clever it's clever uh, in, in the vein of The Office I, as much as The Office just weirds me out I I really enjoy Parks and Rec hmm. interesting I think Parks really? and Rec it, okay. yeah it's weird right like you would think that if I hate The Office that I have to hate Parks and Rec but you know Parks and Rec seems it, it just has like more of a um Oh, hell, hell, how would I put it? Uh, just just more more character. And the reason, like, that, it's, the reason that is is because it's not a one-location filming. The reason I think it feels more robust and there's, it's more character-driven or dynamic is because they're not locked into one setting, whereas The Office, they are. I think the Parks and Rec, there's a lot more movement, and you're not fixated on just one office space. That feels very dull. Like, you know That's I mean? definitely true, like, but I mean, more to the point, I, I feel like with the office, the whole, the whole concept of the office is that everybody is in that one setting, and that's the joke, and it's what happens within that setting that is the joke. It's the homogeny and what happens within it, where people are still able to assert some level of humanity within the joke. Uh, whereas Parks and Rec was always like, oh. Yeah, all of your coworkers are fucking psychotic, and here's how. Like, this guy has a double identity where he's the ultra-conservative, and yet at night he has, like, a smooth jazz open mic thing that he does where he wears, like, a goofy hat or whatever. Like, yeah. uh, it, it's, it, it's kind of like two sides of the same coin where the office are people that are excelling despite the circumstances – and then Parks and Rec are people that are exceptional despite the circumstances. Like they are, okay. uh, you know, Chris Pratt is, he was such a dick in the first couple of seasons. It's unreal. Like, dude, you, oh my God. Like, I can't believe you're Star-Lord now. What is this? But oh, yeah, everybody had, it, it seemed like their personality, all of the characters' personality was independent of the narrative. Whereas with The Office, Everybody's personality was codependent of the narrative, if that makes any lick of sense. It does. It does. Very well put. 
So what? What uh, outside of shows? What what movies does Adam watch? What do you watch, man? I have no clue. Are you are you a silent era kind of guy? I see. I feel like you're like a black and white silent movie kind of individual. <laughs> Cry yourself. Ah, you're to just sleep. ragging on me for living in Denver, where I'm still a fucking hipster and shit, where I got my typewriter and my steampunk. Or are you like super <laughs> deep into like Avengers, like Mandalorian, Star Wars? Are you a Star Yo, Wars guy? Okay. Uh, uh, let, we'll we'll start off with the fact that uh, when Endgame came out, I could watch that movie so many times over because <laughs> I, I I love comics and I feel like that movie didn't do enough woke bullshit to upset me and it, it kind of gave you everything you wanted like Endgame was pretty fucking powerful um, now I, I, again at work we got so many open lockers because people are just leaving left and right Oh my! we had somebody walk that. out the other day somebody walked out the other day hey, oh my really? god I love this woman Who's- I love this woman I love this woman forever she said it she said it. She's like, this place is completely devoid of joy. It and is. It, it made is. me. It made me so happy. I. I was like, uh, what's what's uh, homeboy's name from Shawshank Redemption? Oh. You know where he's like. Uh, I, I almost said Tim Dillon, but uh, Tim Robbins. He breaks <laughs> out, and then uh, God, what's his name? The black dude Morgan from Freeman. Shawshank. Morgan Freeman. Thank Morgan you. Freeman, yeah. And he's like, Tim Robbins made his escape. And some say he never stopped running. Me, I served all my time. But we always held in our hearts the fact that Tim Robbins got free. And I was like, in that moment, that girl was Tim fucking Robbins. And I was Morgan Freeman. Like, some say she never stopped running. Like, run far, run fast. Like, I'll be here. Uh God damn it. I hope to meet you sometime on the streets. But uh, I answer me this. Like, who's still there? Is, Is everybody completely replaced in you? A Keep, lot of them uh, are. Just, just to give some context to some people, this is like a, a, a headquarters for a fashion company, whatever. And Adam and where I used to work, primarily work at the, at the warehouse. Uh, and it is a revolving door. And the management speaks of authenticity, but their actions speak everything opposite to being authentic. It's a CIA psyop. It's a CIA it psyop. Is. Like it they, is. they really are just like seeing how far they could push the human endeavor. It really is. until it cracks. Until it cracks. Is it same uh, management? So Skyler is still there. Oh, Skyler is still there. It's because Skyler um, is someone who's able to like. He, he's a driver now. He doesn't work ecom anymore. He's a driver now. Oh, okay. Um, Ron is still there. Oh, Ron. And Ron, Ron is all Ron's over a the quiet place. Dude. Ron, anything could go down, and and he still work. He Ron's. A oh good yeah. Guy. Oh yeah. Okay. But otherwise... And Christian. Um, you got Christian out there still, right? Yeah, Christian is still... Because we have Ryan. Ryan is the ultimate man. Like, he has that that gold-bordered man card where yeah. nobody tells him anything if it's irrational. Like... Yeah. He, he could have anybody tell him something, and he's like, well, that doesn't make sense, so I'm not doing that. Yeah, And they, they take one look at him, and it's like... Oh well, it's a scary dude. We can't we can't tell you the second time because you know <laughs> the way you guys are talking about this job is like a is like the office pitch. I'm not gonna lie. Like you tell me <laughs> no, the that's, that's more to my <laughs> point. More to my point. We're coming full circle. This yeah. is exactly my point. It's unreal. Thank God that I'm able to listen to podcasts and catch up on what y'all are doing because that's like the only escape that I have. <laughs> oh fuck. Um, anyways, back on movies. I uh, I'm I'm about to set up a free library of work just to loan people movies out. Uh, probably my favorite movie 
is Hayao Miyazaki's Princess Mononoke, if y'all have seen that. Ooh, love that. Yeah, yeah. I seen that in theaters when it released, and I live across the street from the theater now, which is super cool. Um, I'm trying to think of recent things that have gone down. Have y'all been watching The Expanse? No. The Again, no. Amazon is nightmare fuel for me. And so I don't have an Amazon account. I just date women that have Amazon accounts and then like I use their <laughs> Amazon accounts. Uh, so I've, I've been able to keep up on The Expanse, but this is just the most beautifully profound show in the way that all of the nuance, all of the minor things, um, if, if they're in a high G battle, they have to juice up on a cocktail of like steroids and meth. Mm. And just to be able to survive like the, the, the gravity or whatever. And the pilot, he's gritting his teeth and bleeding from his nose and just mutters under his breath. He's like, my fucking dick is so hard right now. I'm like, oh, my God. I've heard oh, of this. It's the greatest I thing. Think. It's, it's the best. Like The Expanse is one of my favorite things ever. It's like a sci-fi show, right? Like, uh, yeah, they're, they're in space. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think, oh, I have heard of this. Uh, oh, I think one so of my coworkers good. told me about it. Okay. It's cool. so good. So good. What about y'all? Um, related, kind of related, like similar, I guess, almost uh, to ex- the expanse was uh, raised by wolves for me. Mm. I think it's a lot less, like probably a lot less funny. But um, I saw like, the first episode. That shit was really good. Yeah, it's, it's good, man. Uh, the guy from Vikings, uh, Ragnar, is in there. Uh, yeah, like one yep. of the leads and stuff. But yeah, it's great, dude. It's yeah, it hits on a lot of a lot of themes like religion and and and, and all this stuff. So, uh, but yeah, I love that love that one. Um, recent shows i've been watching um what else you can go you can go ahead david let me let me think about it oh, I, man, dude, i'm not I, watching anything i'm about I've to been, throw my tv in the rosaka uh, rosaka this you. dude this motherfucker <laughs> is just out in a windswept field with the earth's bird and he's just getting all of his information from the bird. Like everybody else is talking about Twitter and David's like, for real, nah, I'm not on real. that bluebird. My, my bird is like yellow and green and fucking <laughs> and like, it's chirping look, to me right now. Absolutely. You know, like, there's something about, look, there's good, there's good shows. I don't doubt. Like I got, I, you know, I liked Westworld. Like I like those things, but then after a while, like I was really bothered at the fact that I was ending my days with an hour or two of just consumption of, you know, just, yes, it's good writing, but I was just like, man, there was some kind of like depression that come over me at the fact that because my life isn't that exciting, I have to now go and step into the world of 12 writers who are purposely designing this for me to be hooked for the second season and the next season after that. So when I watch like my mother and my sister who are like hooked on a couple of shows and they're and they're and they're like shocked at the fact that this person died, I'm not I'm not even surprised. Like there's like I can't hold up like my sense of disbelief anymore. Like of course that dude died. Of course this person had an affair with this person. Because if they didn't, you wouldn't stick around for the next show. And yep. I think I mentioned this before. Like once I see the fakeness and the bullshit, it's like, man, at the end of the day, like I don't see these actors. I see the sixty crew size group of people behind the camera. And I'm like, it'd be one thing if this thing was like provided by, I don't know, if it was arriving by tablets in the middle of the desert and every day or every other week, the producers had to drive out four hours and, you know, in in the desert and pick up the new script. That'd be one thing, you know, as if this was happening in a different world, but it's not, you know, and because of that, it's like how I I can't get really emotionally invested anymore. I don't know. I'm too cynical Mm. and I'm too detached from it. And I wish there was a good show that I'm like, Oh man, this is well done. I I can barely do movies now. 
I can barely do movies. Mm. I also feel like a lot of the shows that Amazon is peddling or Netflix, it's just a, it's just a lot of propaganda, a lot of political propaganda, oh, a lot of yeah. wokeness. Oh yeah, and it's like it's hard to find good writing that's not trying to be woke. And it's like, and then I see all these shows for the sake of diversity, and I'm like, okay, great, you have a really nice palette of, of colors, but everybody sucks at their acting, and the writers are detached individuals from Los Angeles who wish they were doing something else. I don't know. It's it's it's, it's been very mm. difficult to find something that I truly care about. Yeah, it's, it's you, just really it tough. sounds a lot like where I was at in college, um, and so. Uh, when when I was in art college, it was the first time. Well, so I'd, I'd lived away from home a lot. I was a latchkey kid. I, I made shit work or whatever. But college was the first time that it, it, it really was like, this is now my life. Like, this is where I am. And I had four roommates in an apartment, and one of which was fucking 38, old Chuck. God love you, Chuck. I hope you're still alive, you chain-smoking bastard. He made sure that we had super expensive cable wire to every room. And Chuck, oh man, he'd make the meanest steaks. That that motherfucker could literally chain smoke a carton of cigarettes in a weekend. Mm. And he would just sit down in front of the TV and I'd, I'd come home from class or work or whatever. And he'd have that show 24 on. You guys are familiar with 24 with, uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like everything you were just talking about, Dave, is is that eventually you have that moment where you just completely fucking disconnect. And I, I looked at it and I was like, this is legitimately all of media. The yeah. whole premise of this show is that the first half of the season is that Kiefer Sutherland gets captured and tortured. Mm-hmm. And then the second half of the season is him capturing and torturing his torturers. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It, like there's... Surprise, there's surprise. Else. There's there's nothing else. No, you know? yeah. And sometimes like I I I I have I, I I always, almost always, I'm you know, but I always have like an out-of-body experience where I see myself sitting in front of a screen and I hate it. Like I think like I'm not trying to sound cool mm. or too hippie or too whatever. No, no, no. I, it's I, totally I, a visceral I, reaction. Like, like that that isn't hippie or anything. No, that's, it's that's just, your visceral reaction. Yeah. I've 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 done too much mushrooms to sit on a screen for more than two hours. That's really yeah. where I'm at. That's kind of where it's at. Yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah. it, it's the truth. It really, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to like a, like a, like a, I'm coming from a place of arrival and oh, there's nothing good for oh, me. Oh no, we get it. You you totally just outwoked the both of us, and now we have to bow to you forever. <laughs> yeah, <it's fine>. No, <laughs> but fine. there's some truth. It was like I, I I would rather like be outside and and and. and smoking my pipe or something else like i don't know I'd, I'd rather go and pretend to be a writer and type away something that's garbage and you know what i mean like i'd rather be a, 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 a like engage and, and participate in the creative process rather than the consumption of the creative process and i feel like like it speaks i don't know as, as, a, as a creator or whatever like there's something i think more high-minded on being on the producing end rather than the consuming end and I don't know. I mean, it needs to be mixed, of course, right? Any extreme is too harsh on anybody's mind. But I don't know. I think now it's just like, like I said earlier, it's just getting harder to really sit there. And I hate screens. I hate it. I hate it. And there's yeah. a screen everywhere. And it's just, yep. like, I don't know. It's just something really eerie about it that I just dislike that we're all, you know, I hate, I hate being in the living room and seeing you know, my whole family locked into a screen. And if, if they're not locked into the main screen, they're locked into the mini screens. And it's just like, man, 
people are outsourcing their thinking. People are outsourcing their exactly. thinking. Exactly. It really mm. is. And uh, yeah, I'd rather... Uh, yeah, go for it, Vu. I think you had something. No, I was going to say, I, I uh, was listening to a podcast the other day and, and the guy was talking about, I forget who it was, but he was talking about um, raising his son. And uh, his son plays video games all day and, and, and all that stuff. And, and, you know, occasionally his son will get bored and he'll complain. He's like, I'm bored. And then he'll, like, go play on his video game or get on his phone or whatever. And then he, he told his son, and there's, like, a life lesson for, you know, for his son, but also, like, just to the, to the co-host or whatever, whoever the guest to as well was, like, boredom's great. Boredom is great for, for humans because it, it, it breeds creativity and it, it forces yeah. you to do mm-hmm. things and create things that are even more awesome than you know, what existed before. Yeah. And that's kind of the, the general theme of it. But yeah, that's, that's how I kind of feel about television and, yeah. and movies and things like that. Video but games. on the opposite side, like I, I do love – I mean I do love the con- like good content because like there's amazing sure. work out there. But there is I think nowadays a proliferation of content that you know they're just trying to get into Amazon. They're just trying to get into the, the, the Netflix, Hulu, whatever. They're just trying yeah. to sell the script you know, and not necessarily like – the story yeah. yeah no that's true yeah and uh yeah there's just something odd about it and i've been trying to force myself on books a lot more and the fact that i'm not able to sit still and and you know finish a three four hundred page book bothers me because i know people 200 years ago 100 years ago were able to do, do such a thing and now it's like I, I i read you know 30 pages and i'm already like biting my nails figuring out what what should i do next Cool. Uh, Adam, uh, what was I asking? Oh, yeah. Uh, so what are you writing, man? So you, so, so the 500-page thing, tell me about that. Uh, yeah, it's been like a long-term investment. And again, it's, it's going to be cliche on purpose of the idea that when you reduce the population of humanity down, then you see representative archetypes within it but in in that regard like my my whole intention is to bring light to the importance of culture and the importance of industry and the importance of uh self-sustainability mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. at one point uh dude sloppily fucks a banshee <laughs> a dude sloppily fucks a banshee <laughs> okay uh, adam yeah. is this a is this for a movie or a show uh, or, or definitely or a show. Being being five hundred pages or whatever, I I I write and read in a way that I interpret uh, too like far away. musically, musically and visually. How's that? Can you hear? I don't know why it isn't picking up on my mic. Am I okay now? Yeah, yeah you're good just, now. Yeah, just get oh, okay. close to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, it's it's about the importance again. Like we we keep making reference to all of the woke culture and saying I, I feel like woke culture is ultimately saying that people some people are more exceptional than others, and some people reduce the exceptionalism of others. One of those is true, maybe both of those is true. But ultimately, like I I just want to tell a story about how everybody has uh, a narrative. Uh, everybody has uh, a lore or a myth and it's basically like all of these these myths coming to light and people having to deal with them personally Mm. interesting okay i dig it well we'll see if i we'll 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 see if i could pull it off Um, so i I might just be jerking off here maybe you are maybe (laughs) uh so you're trying to sell this right so this is 500 pages that's taking you how long to write What's the title of it, by the way? 
for the uh, folks back at home. Given the uh, given the hundred monkey theorem, I'm not ready to disclose that. Okay. But okay. Um, being being 500 pages, the goal isn't to sell it. The goal is to see it. Um, it it isn't a get rich quick scheme of mine. I've been writing this. I've had this concept for 10 years. It, it kind of was a joke that a coworker of mine and I had several previous jobs ago. And uh, I don't know, like just before coronavirus, everything was like real sideways for me. Like I was uh, I was homeless and living at Cherry Creek Reservoir in a tent while working at the company that we worked for, Dave, for two months. And I, hmm. I just started writing this thing. And uh, it, it's because any any job like our job would be no better than any other job unless you're doing something wholesome like construction or farming or otherwise like and so i i finally just had to i had to give myself another job and it's just it isn't as about as much as like selling it as it is like giving an entire production crew a job <laughs> if it's viable which i i don't know if it is i think it is Hmm. interesting dude i want to see this help, like see this through for sure like i would love to see this like manifest um yes yeah man hell yeah i mean so so like what's I, I don't know anything about like the world of you know script writing and things like that like like how does that translate into um something like re- like something physical like um the actual <laughs> productions like that like funding and stuff Oh, uh, in that regard, with the funding I could get into, but when it comes to actually writing the script, I've, I've never written a script before. I just wrote this thing out and I have 500 pages and now I have to be able to convert it. Mm. And I just, I recently just discovered what monotype is. If you look at a screenplay, it looks like it's typed out in like typewriter font. And there's a reason for that. A monotype is that each individual character and every character into a sentence, into a paragraph, into a page. Monotypes are letters that are measured out that if you were writing at a 12 font size of, uh, say, courier font type, monotype, Mm -hmm. then each page equals a minute screen time. Interesting. So I've had to rethink my entire entire process. Which is fucked mm. up because kind of the crux of the story is uh, central around a character who's obsessed with cetacean uh, being uh, aquatic mammals like whales, dolphins, porpoise, beluga. Uh, Sexually? Or just, just uh, an appreciation? He weaponizes them like an appreciation. Definitely no. He, he is the <laughs> same character that fucks them. the banshee. <laughs> no, it, it's a fair question. Like this is the same character that fucks the banshee. Uh, he, he doesn't get his kicks from the beluga, but, uh, I just imagine like like an armored narwhal. (laughs) Oh yeah. Okay. Could you imagine like rocket launchers and rocket boosters and shit? I can't be amazing. (laughs) No, they, uh, I've, I've always been obsessed with whales. It seems (laughs) like there's more going on with them. And so basically this entire story is my way of exploring, what's happening with whales without thinking myself a scientist. I'm just an asshole. Mm, right. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. That's that's all. I like it. I like it too. I've, I've always wanted to write a screenplay and I, but I don't think I'm a writer at all. Like I can, I can visualize movies that I'd like to watch. And so 
I can think of a really cool movie inside my head and I can go scene per scene and be really impressed by it. But then to like translate it on paper and so that other people can follow the script. I just don't need at first. I don't have the patience to write it all out. And I don't know. It's just, um, yeah, it's a different type of craft. It's a lot slower and I'm, I'm more into speed and like right away, just manifest the creation versus like long drawn out, you know, 10 years worth of like, you know, investing time and rewriting and all those types of things. But that's uh, interesting considering how prolific an artist you are, like how, how much of a technical skill you have. Like since I seen your work, I was always like, Oh Jesus. Like I I've been trained to notice somebody who knows what they're doing. And like the second I saw your work, I was like, this guy not only has high hand eye coordination and technical skill, but you are able, like, no matter what you draw within a two-dimensional plane, there's no escaping what is beneath that. You, you take a two-dimensional plane, and you don't only turn it three-dimensional, but you embed it with your, your nuance and your, your subtleties. Hmm. That's, that's something that I think is very unique to specifically your work. That's something that always, like, really blew my mind when I, when I saw, like, any piece of work that you do. Interesting. What is it that you're picking up? What are the subtleties? I have to ask now that you brought that up. What what what, well, what, it, what is it that you're receiving? Like, hopefully, what people who actually look at a Rothko get, where they look at it and it's like, oh, it it super fucking moved me. Not to compare you to Rothko. Don't get me wrong. Um, I don't know, man. Like it. Uh, granted, I met you before I had seen the work, but I feel like my experience would have been the same as it. The reason that you're an artist and that you do you have developed such an amazing skill is that you're expressing something beyond words and that mm. is definably you and so i do know you and i see that in what you're doing but i also see in your work aspects of you that i don't know i see aspects of things that you consider that i never did if that makes any sense like that that is the sign of true art mm. and so just you know when you're talking about writing it it kind of is the same thing and uh, it, it, it is, it, it could be a boring process. Um, I guess, I guess I would say that I get so bored in it that I go out the back door of boredom. And then I, I really, I, I hit like a, like a momentum to be able to. Mm. But well, I honor your craft more than writing because writing is just a bunch of fucking words strung together. Who couldn't do that? What you're able to do in terms of hand-eye coordination and then also using your hand-eye coordination and your, uh, your versatility to be able to capture something that is immaterial, to me, is just like the ultimate kind of fucking magic. Hmm. Interesting. And you see, I feel like the same way you view that, I view musicians and that like, like how are you, like for me, it's, it's like, for me, it's easy to, to put something on paper because it's tangibly there and I can, I, I can look around me and I can see the physical form as a form of reference. I can look at myself. And so, you know, it's, it's like the face is, is quite easy if you look at enough faces. But when I think about musicians and, and their ability to pull out sounds and put them together and then create an emotion and then put lyrics on top of that, like they're, like they're doing what I'm doing in a very metaphysical, 
like I don't know, like hovering higher than the two dimensional thing. But I do respect what you just finished telling me because I, I know what you're talking about, and and uh, and and that's why sometimes like I've as much as I like the idea of writing, I've never like I've never sat down and really tried it, mainly because I feel like the words are just it's too revealing. If that makes sense, like I've I've yeah. already laid it all out to you. I've already told you my message. I've already said who I am, what I'm about, and where I'm, and and you can more or less guess where I'm trying to take you. But the thing with like two dimensional thing is just like this quick, you know, punch to the jaw of like very vague like ideas that a part of you recognizes deep in your soul, and then a part of you doesn't, but also feels like I don't know. It's just hard to describe. And it can get really abstract, but I, I know what you're referring to. Um, but yeah, vague in a way. Vague in a way, but more profound beyond being able to explain what it is. Like, you truly have a depth to your work, bro. Like, I every time that I've seen any single one of your pieces, it almost seems like one of those 3D gifts or like a like a like a 3D card, you know, where you move it and it changes substance or something. And oh, yeah. I don't even know if you were doing that. Um, I I don't even know if I should bring it up because I don't I don't you know mean to call you out on the profundity of what it is that you do as an actual artist but you you're not you're not dropping memes but and it, it kind of goes back to Rothko was that Rothko was talking about art on a cellular level what you're doing is talking about art in your art on uh like a functional level like a like a your your art is a verb and despite the fact mm. that any, if you had a tapestry hanging up in an art museum and somebody looked at it, the tapestry is a noun. Your body of work is a verb. Interesting. I've never had anybody say that. That's a, that's a really interesting way to put it. Uh, it uh, interesting. Hmm. Oh, interesting. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, I, lo I love David's work as well. Uh, and uh, I won't get that deep with it, but David, I think you should like, uh, we don't, I don't know. We kind of talked about this last time, but like put it on like crypto. I think you should make like an NFT out of it. What do you mean? Okay. Elaborate. What does that mean? Sorry. So NFT is a, is, is a non-fungible token. So essentially what that means is like you can put your art on the internet. Oh, we and, did talk about this, but yeah. This, and that piece of art. I was that piece listening of, to you guys talk about that. That sounds yeah. dope. Yeah, yeah, man. Absolutely. So that piece of that piece of art can be like a, it's a digital asset and it's one of one, right? Or whatever, whatever you decide to create, five of five of five or whatever it is. But each one of those things has like a record, and people can buy and trade that, right? Like your your fans can like get that, or you know, it's it's just this. I don't know how to say it, but like it's just like this, like like a portion uh, of you you buy a portion of. So uh, Dave is an example, bro. I'd I'd buy anything if you draw something right now on a fucking napkin. I'll buy that from you. Okay, like you, you give me a price, you show it to me, I'll like I'll fucking buy it from you and own it whole. But like what you're talking about, Vu, is uh, you're you're it's saying like, you own a share, like you're a shareholder. You treat art like a stock, and you, exactly. you buy a portion of it, and then that that art is going to appreciate in value to a regard that you own a share in the livelihood of the very artist that made it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but so, but you're also like, you know, 
in the off like offline you have like a you know hard piece of art right that, that i could go hang up in my apartment or whatever it is but like what i'm saying is like with the nft it's digital so like this thing can like you know it can be moved around the internet people can post on their profiles whatever it is but at the end of the day you can always like click into that that piece of art and you're like this is created by david you know what i mean and it's owned by x person right mm-hmm. so like the paper the, there's a paper trail to it online essentially and what's been that. hurt more via coronavirus than the art community you know, oh, like I, I love being in Denver because we have Santa Fe and they have like an oh, art yeah. open every first Friday of the month. And totally, uh, that's man. that's gone the way of the dodo. So we absolutely should find a different way to invest in artists. Like I'll, I'll throw down on whatever crypto investment of art right now just to be able to say like, hey, I really appreciate what this person is doing. Let me let me yeah. let me perpetuate that. It's- yeah. I'm going to have to explore that because uh, I don't know. Right now, it's interesting because I like made, I mean, there's a lot of artists that are, are able to do their thing. And I, I'm probably on the lower tier of popularity on the Instagram world. But Instagram's dying. That's one thing I've noticed. Yeah. And so so I feel like, like all of social media is. Do you guys feel that too? That all of social media is just... It's it's trying to tell us that it's still there, but it's really not. Like, it's it's changing. Yeah, it's shifting form. Like, yeah. Yeah. a couple a couple patterns I've been noticing is like uh, pseudonymous social media is like getting more popular, where like people don't want to be themselves. Like, you're not, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not Vu Francois on you know on the internet. I'm you know um, Axe Murderer five thousand. You know, whatever, like whatever <laughs> World of Warcraft name, whatever. But yeah. like, I'll you know, I'll uh, change. Like, I've seen people change PME their you know. Dude. 23 yeah <laughs> yeah exactly dude change their names change for their protection. like icon but not even for protection they just well they want to do it for just for fun just to be somebody mm-hmm. else right yeah like I, I see it on twitter all the time and like even my friend some of my friends who i talk to you know and i know them in, re- in the real world real life and things like that we hang out in real life like they, they're still somebody else online and it, it's okay like it's you know it's just like becoming normal to, do, to be able to do that um, right. It was, yeah, it's it, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. And the other thing too is, um, people are sharing differently now too. Like it used to be a lot. I mean, uh, maybe it's a smaller pattern, but like people used to be very much so. Like every day, post a new picture. Every day, post a new video or whatever. Yeah. There's different ways people are coming about with like sharing new things. Like there's a lot of live stuff now. Like live, you know, live voice stuff. Like live podcast. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, and then like yeah, just different ways. I mean, no, it's, I it's shifting, shifting forms. Well, yeah. in, in the Instagram, one thing I've noticed with the art, and I mean, the algorithm now is just it's fucked. It really is, and that's why I've I felt kind of like unmotivated to even like push my stuff on Instagram anymore because you're just really you're like you're not. I'll, I'll, it doesn't matter how many followers you have anymore. Like it's just not being shown to any of them, or if it is just a, a small few, and. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of hard to fight against the the big machine algorithm and you have to do all these different things. And it's like I see a lot of artists like willing to do all these different things in order to like stay mm-hmm. relevant to the algorithm. I just do, I'm just I'm above that. I don't want to be like dancing around for the algorithm, you know, like, oh, please, you know, uh, show me to my followers or show me to other people. I just hate that kind of crap. And I don't know for where sure. to go to. Like, I don't for know sure, where dude. to uh, invest my art in, in a different platform. And I don't know. It's just kind of like. Did y'all ever have uh, pen pals as kids? <laughs> uh, no, I don't I, think so. I, I, mean, I did well, actually. Like, I did have one on on AIM. It was just like some random girl from, I don't even know where the hell she, like Midwest somewhere. And uh, okay. we met in like some random, like, uh, you know how like Yahoo used to have, um, 
those like game rooms you play like chess with people and like random shit like that. Um, uh, yeah. And then she gave me her aim address and like we just started talking on there and like we did that for like three years. And I, I mean I yeah. never had to meet her person, don't know what she looks like or anything like that. Interesting. Right. So being or if, or if she's a she. I mean, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, you you were getting catfish, bro. Yeah, I don't mean I don't mean catfish in the technical sense. I mean you legitimately were communicating with a, a literal catfish, and you would never know. Um, yeah. So being thirty six. Oh fuck! What was it? Third grade. I legitimately had a pen pal in third grade. Like the internet was brand new and nobody was using it. And I had a pen pal in Georgia, the country. And it, it was like every, every two, three weeks or so we get mail back and forth between each other. I still think about that woman to this day. Well, she's a woman now. I thought about her then and I think about her now. We were the same age. It's not weird. Um, but the, the idea like, Social media and online censorship is going so hard in the fucking paint that I've really been asking myself this question. It's like, do we just start like pen palling each other again? It's amazing. Okay, so podcasts are different. What we're doing right now, I don't know if y'all feel the same level of excitement as I do. I'm easily excitable. I love y'all's fucking company over time and distance or whatever. But the idea of like getting, getting a letter... And then writing this. out another letter and sending it back is just it. I, I, if you haven't experienced it, it's it's beautiful. It's no, wonderful. Yes. And I I've been talking. I mean, I mentioned this on thing on the last podcast that I want to go back to the letter. Like I wish I wish I wish my letters were sent by horseback. Like I want my courier or carrier to be at risk of Comanche Indians of death. Yeah. Like I'm, I, I miss, I miss the I'll fact be that, that Comanche Indian. Please. I mean, <laughs> I, I would love to write letters and then find out eight months later, eight months uh, later that I go through the town and I'm like, Hey girl, did you get my letter? No, I didn't know. Like I would love there to be like heavy miscommunication where people think I've died. You know, like, man, we haven't heard from mm. him in five years because the letters never got through. You know, I, I wish, Bro, I are, wish it was are like you that. literally describing the premise of the movie, the notebook? I wrote you oh, every is it, day. Is it the notebook? I, I don't remember the notebook. <laughs> no, <laughs> is that really what it is? You're completely right. You're completely right. That, that, this is exactly my I just, point. I miss that. that kind of stuff. Like, I would love, like, for somebody to be like, "Oh, I haven't gotten his letters," or like, I don't know, like, wait six weeks to, you know, for me to tell you I love you. I don't know, something romantic, I suppose. Now it's all yeah. quick. It's like fast food communication. Like, I like six weeks of simmering. While the guy on horseback is going through the Midwest, you know, shooting Comanche Indians, you know what I mean? Totally. Just trying to get through. It, it makes you fucking it makes drunk, it, and you love a woman. Com- oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no <laughs> I was just say it makes it, the communication like you cherish it more. You know sure. what I mean? Like that message is, yeah. is more cherishable. Like nowadays, yeah. it's just like just post a shit. You know, like you, yeah. you don't really respect the effort that somebody put into a, a caption or image sure. and things like that. Yeah. I think it's possible. I mean, we were able to bring back the 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 vinyl i'm sure we can you know i think in five ten years once our age becomes even more disenfranchised with how things are going maybe we all just like the new thing is writing letters you know that'd be kind of cool yeah i don't know know. we gotta think of the scumbags the poor scumbags like this this dude who's like he's he's gonna text a girl that he just met at a bar and he's like dearest bertha i met you on the eve of the new year and I loved you the moment I saw you and I can't ever even 
think of anything less than holding you in my arms for the rest of my life. And then she texts back, K. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> it's like either you don't, it'd be better to not get a letter back if you're writing like a, a fucking letter out. But sure. when you're texting somebody, it's like, yeah, okay. We, we got to yeah. think about the scumbags of society. Somebody has to take a stand for the scumbags of society. And I'm going to be the person to do it because I think I understand them, if, if not being one myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also sad that that kind of like, now since you were talking about like the, the language you were using and writing to a woman the way you were writing, you know, or talking right now, it's, it's a shame that we can't be that like romantic, verbose, whatever it is. Like now it would be looked at like really corny and cheesy and like really outdated when really yeah. like, I forgot what movie it was, but this guy was basically like, it was like 17 something, 1600s. And this guy was, pen, you know, writing a letter to this girl he loved. And I'm like, man, you know, they, there was really an art form. Like, there really was an art form for using your words. And not like in a pickup artistry, like, I got an hour to take you home out of this bar. Like, there was some real art form, real vocabulary, real grammar. And, like, this dude, like, really sat there and, like, wrote you an essay on why it is you need to choose him. And I thought that was like, that's so badass, you know, and that's like the romantic in me. But now you do something like that. Now it's like, I don't know. It gets looked on like, Ugh, dude, that's too needy. I'm like, yeah. Well, or, you, or you didn't move quick enough. Or you didn't move, it's, it's whatever. And it's like, how did society like make like indoctrinate you in thinking that this level of commitment through words was somehow a lesser form of appreciation? Like you should mm. you should be like head over heels over an individual who's willing to, I don't know, grammatically, you know, express his devotion to you and, 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 and it'd be a good thing. And, and I don't know, it's just sad that that kind of like level of expression is, is just, you know, corny now, you know, I don't know. I would love I think to it's write always that. A, I, it. I think it's always a question of fear. Um, like it, everything you're describing is a question of fear. And so it isn't a labor of love that they would use, um, you know, like deep and nuanced language to explain what they were doing. What they were doing was they were they were doing everything they could to escape the fear of loneliness to try to captivate and capture the negative space of everything that say, yeah, we're all dudes that uh, woman or if any anybody here is gay. Uh, dude would inspire somebody that you love would inspire and that you would you would do everything you could to try to encapsulate that and that could only result in a lot of nuanced sort of words um mm-hmm. the the issue now is that everybody is memified everybody is able to say like oh hey you know your your butt really caught the sun's light today and i could say that but why don't I just send you a fucking meme instead? It, yeah. So it, it's like the fear mm-hmm. is still there, but now we have this this wall of memes that we hide behind, and we no longer try to personally try to catch the the lightning in a bottle of explaining how we try to think we really feel because we never really know how we feel. We only try to think how we feel. I don't know if that makes no, sense. No, no, I, I agree. That's that. that's very true. We're we're hiding. That's very true. We're hiding behind a wall of memes, and it just it it that that forces us to I guess not be off. I don't know. There's I agree. I concur. 
like we lose authenticity, we, we, we lose realness. And it is a fear thing, like exposing yourself in that way. And uh, I also don't think the culture, yeah, is, is being taught to appreciate that kind of like nuanced language and, and expressing, you know, one's affections towards another, which is sad because I think at the end of the day, I think both men and women uh, or all those people in between are, are missing that kind of, I mean, you do get it in a relationship. I mean, you have a girlfriend, I'm assuming you have solid emotional intimacy, uh, but but also maybe not. Maybe it's just a lot of you guys being in the same room, texting each other different memes, which I've seen those relationships. And I, I, I wonder what that is as well, you know. But anyways. <laughs> anyways. Which one of y'all was saying, talking about video games, kid playing, kids playing video games and being bored? Um, what, what I would tell those kids is like, pray to God, you're, you're never not bored because if, if you reach a point in your life where you're never, where you're never bored, that, oh, woof. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, I love that. Yeah. That also says of how easily you can be entertained with what's out there. Being bored is probably a sign, sign of intelligence maybe too. I don't know. Have y'all. Have y'all ever had like a near death experience? Have y'all ever had your lives on the line? Because in yeah. uh, like I, I want to ask that question and I want to hear all of your stories. But the only reason that I'm prompted to ask that is that if if you've ever had a near death experience, like you have a gun in your fucking face, or oh. you narrowly survive a pile up on a highway. Is that as scary as telling somebody your feelings for them? It isn't for me. Like telling somebody your feelings for them is hands down the scariest fucking thing that I have and will ever do. And that, that strikes me because I've had so many near death experiences. It makes me (laughs) crazy. So yeah. yeah, Like have y'all had like a near death experience, like a close call? Boo, have you? No, I wouldn't say near death, but like I definitely vibe with what you're saying, though. I think it's because like telling somebody how you feel, what you feel about them, it is like it's immortalized, right? Like it it goes beyond death, right? Death, you know, death ends, right? Or like you dying, you know, it ends or whatever and and move on, whatever. But whatever you say to somebody, it sticks with them and it's, you know, it's it's immortalized. So, yeah, I I feel that, dude. I I feel that a lot for sure. You haven't had a close call. You have never uh, feared for your life. I mean, I feared for my life, but like I personally haven't had a, a close call. Um, but like I've seen close calls, you know, and I I've, I read about them and and, and and do a lot of research into my guess, like a, a lot of I guess unnecessary research or whatever. Because you know I've always been curious about death and things like that. Uh, but in the, in the sense of like how it changes people, right? How like how realizing your mortality, um, like just makes you kind of a better person, right? So, yeah. True, 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 yeah. true. Yeah, man. Um, I don't know. I, cool. uh, I, I'll go ahead and reply to that one. Uh, I think one time I ingested too much substances at one point. <laughs> and so it wasn't like a near-death experience, like someone had a gun in my face, but like I was the man with a gun at my own face. Not an That's even gun. scarier. That's so Dude, much that scarier. Dude, that is scary because then It you, is scarier. That is scary, man, because there's a lot that's very telling that you're your own like enemy, right, I suppose. But yeah, one time I took too much stuff one time. And I was like, I basically thought I was just going to die because it was like either like it was a heart attack or I was about to enter a heart attack. And uh, yeah, man, it's it's not a fun experience thinking that you're going to go and you're like, oh, my gosh, like, am I really going to die <laughs> here in this living room? I shouldn't have done all those drugs. Um, yeah. 
I hate I mean, that feeling. I, I've had psychedelic experiences like where I was like so deep into it, but I knew I wasn't going to die. You know what I mean? Like it was one of those things where it's like, I, I know I'm going to go back to normal. I don't know oh, if it's going to be normal, but I know I'm not going to like leave you see, this world. You know? I, I've, I've gone so deep. Some, like I've gone so deep that it's like, my, I'm like, there is no way I come back sane kind of thinking. Like mm. there's no way I come back normal. I've thought to myself, like there's times where I've been so deep. It's like, Oh, I'm going to be like this for the rest of my life. Like, yes, I know this trip's <laughs> going to end, but I'm going to come back and I'm just never going to be the same. And I'll be honest with you, there's some things about me that, that have changed because of deep, like, psychedelic trips, both for the good and then both for the bad. And mm. uh, I don't know, a lot of good stuff and a lot of bad stuff, I suppose. But anyways... Yeah. We're going to have to close it up here because we're going to be like at an hour and a half. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, cool. Awesome. But, Thank you, Adam. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Hey, thanks me. for having me. This has been great. It's been great to talk to you all. Sure. Uh, do, you, do you want to plug anything? Is there a charity that you like? <laughs> is, is there something you want to plug? Uh, yeah, it's uh, helpoutscumbags.com. I'm trying to raise, raise awareness about like the, the poor forgotten scumbags of reality. I, oh. I think they, they, need a, they need a champion to look out for them. So. I love that. But That's other than that, idea. no, not really. <laughs> save the whales. Idea. Save the whales, y'all. Save oh, the whales. Oh, yes. That's a great one. There you <laughs> All go. Right. Yeah. All right, well, man. Thanks well, for thank listening, you guys. guys. Thanks, guys. We appreciate it.